1: Hey, welcome, Modern Classroom family. It is so exciting to have you back with us this week. We are now in episode 59. My name is Tony Rose and she, her pronouns, and I am a program manager at Modern Classroom. So today I am joined by two first time podcast guests who teach at an MYPIB school in Northville, Michigan. Hillside Middle School. Shout out to Hillside Middle School. So Karen and Stacy, welcome. I'm so happy that you two are here to join me, and thank you so much for saying yes to becoming podcast guests. If you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your teaching experiences, and your MCP journey, that would be great. We can start out with Karen.
2: Hi. Yeah, I um, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for 28 years, and middle school the whole time. So I my heart is in middle school. Um, And as far as as Modern Classrooms Project, like many teachers, I think I found it over the pandemic. Um, I was listening to a um, Cult of Pedagogy podcast and they had Kareem on. And it was the the episode that he was talking about how to videotape, like what would be the best practices for um, for like a screencast. And because we were in the middle of the pandemic, I thought, oh, that's great. And so that that kind of got me hooked. Um, And so after that, I just kind of dove into the free course. And it it took me a while. I mean, so I probably dived in, gosh, in May of 2020. And then we started... Actually, teaching MCP at the end of the 2021 school year, so it was a little bit slow for me. Um, but I felt like I really got a handle on things with the free course, and then a lot of colleagues in our building—there um, are actually four of us doing the MCP model—kind um, of got together and and we kind of went from there. So,
3: okay, hi, I'm Stacy Eiler, and um, I've been teaching uh, about 26 years. Uh, maybe longer than that because I was the kid in the neighborhood that would um, gather all the younger kids and then pretend to play teacher with them. So anyways, um, I started out pretty young. Um, I taught um, about four years in a self-contained sixth grade classroom. So there were about, um, well, there were three teachers and about 50 kids and we had the special ed section. And it taught me that um, all students can learn. And we did, I worked with amazing teachers. I was so lucky to work with them um, at such a young or at such an early point in my career because we really, in our own sort of way, were doing MCP. We were kid, allowing kids to kind of work at their own pace and taking our time and organizing our time and our resources to make sure that everybody. Um, had an opportunity to learn and be successful. And then I moved to um, Florida, and I taught in Florida for about four years at a performing arts school. And that taught me uh, just how creative, um, if you really let go and let students kind of have their way with the curriculum, how creative they really can be. Um, And then I've been in uh, Northville in our current district for about 16 years teaching um, sixth and seventh grade science. I did a short stint um, in second grade (laughs) uh, for about two years, and um, not by choice, but it definitely taught me um, to appreciate those elementary teachers, Uh, and I wish I would have known about Modern Classrooms Project um, then, because uh, I really think that I would have been much more successful um, with those students. Uh, Anyway, so... I came about the Modern Classrooms Project through Karen. Uh, She was instrumental in kind of, I don't know, just igniting the fire uh, that started us on this journey. And I also listened to the um, Cult of Pedagogy um, podcast, but I think it was the one where Kareem was actually talking about self-paced learning. And then when Karen got us involved with, you know, just the podcast and we just took off like fire and we just we were avid podcast listeners and we just would come into school every day and we would like share our ideas and like, how can we make this work? And so this is, you know, and now here we are on the podcast. So thank you very much for having us.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for both of you to be here just because of all of your expertise, your knowledge, your experiences. Um, and so, I mean, thank you for sharing that you learned about us through Jennifer Gonzalez. I'm a huge fan of Cult of Pedagogy. I feel like she has such great resources and I was so pumped to see Kareem on there. Um, and that was Def, that was like the one resource that I shared with like everyone just so that people could be like, Oh, you're legit. And it's like, yeah, we are legit. But now we have like, we also have Jennifer Gonzalez saying like, here are some really great strategies to implement in the classroom. Um, and also because, you know, it's the 21st century and the traditional way of learning and teaching um, it hasn't been working that well. So it's definitely time to innovate. And so I'm excited about that. And Stacy, I really, I chuckled when you said that, you probably started out much younger with teaching because that was me too I played school all the time um, and my mom always told me like okay it's cool now for you to play as a teacher but like don't be a teacher when you get older okay <laughs> and I was just you know and, and what typically happens is if someone says don't do it you're gonna do it and that's what happened and I taught for 10 years middle school so I am in like beautiful company of middle school teachers a huge fan of middle school teachers and and like you, Stacy, I tried to teach kindergarten one year um, and I realized really quickly that I love playing with kindergartners. I do not like teaching them. So shout out to elementary school teachers. Y'all are the goat. <laughs> so. Okay. With that being said, Karen, uh, you're one of our more engaged members in our Facebook group. And I had put out a question about topics to talk about in the podcast. Um, so recently I started taking over the podcast and I wanted to really diversify our voices and just the topics that we cover as well. So, um, one cool thing is that you actually reached out to me about this great idea for approaching and grading must do, should do, and aspire to do and aligning what you were already doing with the modern classroom model. So, um, And Karen also shared with me, you know, and the Facebook group, when, when we start talking about grading and assessment and mastery, right, like people get really heated about this because there's just so many different ways to do it. And also we want to keep in mind, looking at it in an, from an equity lens and making sure that our students are successful when it comes to providing them options with the must do, should do, and aspire to do assignments. So Karen and I briefly talked about this and how she's like, oh my gosh, this is such a great way. And. to approach this part of the model.
2: And so if you could just tell us more about that, Karen, that would be great. Sure. Um, So grading for me was like the big, I don't know, confusing thing for me with the Modern Classrooms Project and um, just with classifying the must-dos, should-dos, and aspire-to-dos. And just recently, through the discussions that Stacy and I have had and that type of thing, we were looking at our IB um, rubrics. And so they are um, leveled. And so there's really four levels to our IB, IB rubrics. And I thought, well, why don't we just, based on the descriptions of those, tie that into the must do, should do's, and aspire to do's on the mastery checks. So instead of doing like a constant stream of having to grade something, um, give the kids feedback along the way and encourage them to do, you know, the must-dos, should-dos, and aspire-to-dos. But level four for us is, is a, like a sufficient in the MYP. Um, and so the must-dos are all the level four questions like on their mastery checks. So they connect to that. And then if they get to the should-dos, then they they've got the 5-6 level, which is the next level up, the proficient level. Um, and those are based on um, some of the should-dos. And then the advanced level is the level 7-8 for MYP, just to kind of shorten it. And if they if they can connect to something like an aspire-to-do, um, that can help them get to that level 7-8. So it encourages the kids, if they can, to get to those other pieces. If they can't, they're still at that, proficient, sufficient level.
1: And I really like that thought too, right? So I taught an IB school as well. And R3 was like, considered passing. Um, it's like a C in a traditional school. And so I really like this uh, model that you created, uh, looking at the rubric and knowing that like, okay, a 3-4, that's where your must-dos are, and this is where we want everyone to be. And it's okay if you're a 3-4. Like, it's okay. And this is something I tell my students all the time who are, like, obsessed with grades, right? Like, 3-4 is actually, like, that's great. Now we can do 5-6 and 7-8, but also making sure that the rubric is so clear that they know how to go from one step to another, right? And, um, Stacey, did you want to add something else? Yes. I just was thinking about even how
3: you – um how you organize the physical mastery check. I know on mine, um, students know that the questions that are on the front are those must-do level sufficient questions. And so they know when they finish the front, I can take a quick look at it and I can quickly give them a star or smiley face. And I'm like, OK, you're you're good to go. I will take a look at the at the side of this. And, you know, you can only your your score can only get better from here. So I think even just having students, you know, be clear in the expectation of uh, what part of your mastery check maybe is the must do part of it and then what the should do and the aspire do, to do part of it is so that they really they're they're just more aware you know, what the expectations are. The other thing that I was going to say, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with um, the rubric, so to speak, but sometimes within like your LMS system, you know, you might have to organize things a little bit differently. And so I was thinking about that must do, should do, and aspire to do. And we have the language, learn about it, practice it, and then evidence of learning. And so at least for me, I've been trying to, those learn about it, those are the must do type of assignments. Diamonds. And those practice it, those are the should do. So it gives them also like a clue as to, okay, if I get this done, this is going to help me on the back side of my mastery check. So, so just a little management
1: piece, I suppose. And I really like this terminology that you have, right? Like learn about it, practice it. Um, and I think that that's just such a great way for our students to be pushed um, and to be encouraged to do something, right? So it seems like what the should do, it's optional, but like not really. Does that, am I getting that correct? Yeah,
3: and and I try to make those, you know, those might be, um, like, interactive games or another article to read or something that's, um, you know, a little bit more, like, enticing for them to, like, want to be able to do it. And in the wanting comes that, you know, the deeper understanding.
1: Okay. And then the students, of course, know because you label it which ones are which, right? Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. We run things similarly, but I just think a um, kind of a good – I don't know, result of us doing it this way, too, is we've really found that our students are not talking about a grade. They're more talking about a level. And so they know what a level five, six looks like. And just to have the conversation with them about like if they, you know, on even a practice thing, what does a five, six look like versus what does a seven, eight look like? And to have that language and to say, you know, we're looking for, you know, evidence from another source, let's say, for a 7-8, or we're looking for the fact that you used all of the vocabulary words, you know, for a 5-6. It just kind of lends it to a really good picture for the kids of what it should look like. And I just, like I said, feel like the conversation is so different than it has been in the past because it's really focused on what the learning is and how they're demonstrating that learning.
1: Yeah,
3: and I just want to piggyback on that because I see the same thing. And it just kind of like dawned on me the other day that I wasn't having these constant conversations about grades like I have in the past. And students really just sort of embrace, like, where are they? And there's no, you know, they know that if they have a revise that it's just that they aren't quite there yet, that they can take their time and get to that place of, you know, sufficient or proficient or advanced. So I just really um, am enjoying um, shifting that those conversations to content and science rather than just grade, grade grabbing, trying to get that best grade. So I just want to piggyback on that.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've I've always told my students to and I mean, I guess, again, this is like me coming from like a privileged position of being able to tell my students this right, like don't come to me about grades, I need you to talk to me about what you can revise what you can do better and what, um, what contents and skills you've mastered as opposed to you asking me what a grade is because I have so many feelings about grades and, um, giving students grades. So, but I understand that some teachers, you know, they have to have grades because that's what their school and their district's telling them. And so our situations, there's completely different. So I like the level part of it, right? Like, instead of asking about your grade, like knowing what level you're on. And then again, being really clear with expectations so that students know how to go from
2: one level to another. Can I just add to, um, our district does require grades, even though we're an MYP school. And so the grades do get reported as an ABC on their report cards. Um, so it's really interesting, I think, that the conversations within our classrooms aren't the ABC, even though that's sort of how it's getting reported out. Um, so I just really think that Having the must do, should do, and having the, the clear levels just again shifts that conversation and just shifts the focus.
1: And that's really interesting that you pointed that out too that you have ABCD um, letter grades. We and at my school, we didn't have that, we had the one through eight. Um, and so that was just a whole conversation. Of course, like going into college, the students would be like, okay, is this an A, a B, a C, whatever, right? Um, Another thing that I really appreciate after COVID is that my sister is in college now and she's talking about how one of her classes is a pass fail class. Um, And, you know, I was like, oh, that's actually really exciting. You're not focused on grades anymore. Um, But then like, are you able to revise things? And she said, no, I can't revise anything. Like once I turn it in, that's it. And I'm like, oh, but you're missing such an important and crucial like piece of learning. So that's just it's it's interesting where grading is going um, and where it is right now. Um, how many assignments do you typically have in your unit? How many must-do, should-do, aspire-to-do? Um, does it differ based on the unit? And So, Stacy, we can start with you. Okay. So, like,
3: in science, our unit is broken down into what are called lesson sets. So within this first lesson set, let's say there's four lessons. And so within each of those lessons, there's probably, I would say, on average, same, two must-dos, two should-dos, and an aspire-to-do. And then when you put all those pieces together, that becomes the unit. Um, if I find something that maybe is, you know, adds to a lesson and it's, you know, puts in, you know, more steps, so be it. And then I try to make, just make sure that I'm really keeping the must-dos the most important pieces. So that's kind of how I think about it in science. So that's what I do. How does that look like with labs, Stacy? Oh, okay. So this I was super apprehensive about. Um, I thought that I was going to have to do like whole class labs and we were going to have to, like everybody was going to have to do this, you know, whole experience together. And what I found, I did that the first time And because everybody was kind of at their own place, but yet we stopped and then we did this whole class lab, I felt like then they were, it took a little bit of time to get them back in the rhythm of back into self-pace. Then they were like looking at me like, okay, now what should I do? So I decided that the second time around... um, that I was going to let go of the control, which is very hard to do as a science teacher (laughs) um, with all of your materials and stuff. But I thought, okay, I'm gonna give these kids a chance and I'm just gonna see. And so I created my videos um, that were not the content, but the actual videos of the procedures of how to do things like tips and tricks of how to complete the lab. And I just let them go. And I was amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, look it. I've got some kids over here that are working on the lab and some kids over here that are just working on their must And I got this one. And I was like, okay, um, this is amazing. <laughs> so it's it surprised me because I was really about control. Um, and then I was able to go and Work with those students or touch base with those students and ask some content questions and concept questions and just procedural questions to make sure that they knew what they were doing or if they had any questions to answer them for them. So, um, yeah. So, um, I guess what my first thought was of how I was going to do these labs, and now that I've experienced both ways, I definitely, um, you know, would stick to them being able to work at their own pace and complete the labs, unless it's something like dangerous that we have to use a lot of chemicals for, (laughs) Um, but safety first. But yeah, so I'm very pleasantly pleased that it's going
1: as well as um, what it is. And thank you for sharing that, because I feel like I've spoken to science teachers and they all question labs, right? Like, how is that supposed to look like? And like you said, uh, you know, safety first. So if it's got chemicals or anything that could potentially be dangerous, of course, doing that more of a whole group, but really like relinquishing that control and just allowing our students and really trusting them to make those um, right decisions. They really do love being trusted and being able to make their own decisions. So I that was something like, that's new, right? Like, I love the fact that you use instructional videos to create procedures for them to follow along just so that again that's something they can repeat over and over and over again if they miss the first step then they they could go back to it and it doesn't um it doesn't you know like you don't have to be in the front of the classroom doing that and it's not like a one-time show and then if students like you know get distracted for like that five seconds they miss something they actually have the video to go back through which is really exciting so thank you for sharing that
3: Yeah. And I also used where I could see like within like my first period class where I could see the kids kind of stumbling along in certain places. Then I had a couple of my students and I said, "Okay, you guys, I need your help. Who's got, you know, get out your phone. I need I need somebody to take some pictures. And so I just quickly took some pictures and quickly like threw together like a really quick video so that students could like see you know, so I could catch those little mistakes so that they would be successful overall in the lab. So even getting, you know, your students involved in helping, and then they took a lot of pride of just like, they were the ones that were, you know, in my video and, you know, whatever it was, it it was, uh, I don't know. I just love I love the connection with the students in just a much more kind of informal way. Like, Hey,
1: you guys, can you help me out? And they just took a, a ton of pride in being part of that. And I mean, like you said too, like the beauty of the model is the in like the real time feedback right like you're not waiting two three weeks before you can give that net feedback it's really quick for you to be able to be like hey my kids have misconceptions about these let me pull together something real quickly or even having your student leaders create something is a a great skill for them to have so thank you for sharing that karen do you want to add anything um karen you teach ins so humanities perspective what are your how does your must do should do aspire to do assignments look like in your class
2: um they are kind of similar i mean we don't have a certain number and i plan with another social studies or ins teacher as well and um so they just kind of flow i mean we might have two or three must do's again like stacy said they those are those essential things that they need to know and then the should do's usually are you know another article or something Um, maybe a fun website that they could go to and learn more information on. Um, Maybe they're working with a partner or something like that. Um, Or maybe they're analyzing something, you know, it just kind of gives it a step up. Um, But there's not a number that we put on them. It just kind of connects to whatever the content piece is. So, for example, in the the unit that we are just finishing, one of our lessons had like two must-dos and a should-do And then another one of our lessons, because it was more um, content-rich, had three must-dos and two should-dos and an aspire-to-do. So it it just kind of depends. Um, I did want to kind of go back to what you had said, though, about um, the learning and being able to look at the videos again and, and, you know, relearn stuff, as Stacy was talking about the procedures. Um, We do a like a check-in with the kids on a Google form, and they tell what they like about the model. And I just thought this was a great quote because, and it goes back to that, um, the video, being able to watch the video, but the student said, it works well for me because I get to learn everything. And if I didn't understand, I could keep learning until I learn it. So that to me, just kind of encapsulates part of the beauty of the program.
1: And that's so beautiful to hear from a student as well. I love collecting quotes like that, just so that it kind of warms my heart. And I know like, okay, this is, this is hard, but it's also so worth it. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that, Karen. That's awesome. So now we've talked a little bit about your process as teachers, right? Like how you're approaching this model. When you started, when you started implementing this model, how did your students react?
2: And we can start with you, Um, I think they were scared at first (laughs) because they knew they were going to be responsible for their own learning. So I started with one unit at the end of last year. So it was in the middle, and our school was situated quite a bit differently. Um, Our seventh graders, actually the whole school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, were in cohorts. And they came to school every other day. Um, They were a group of 20 or less students, and they stayed in one room all day, with those 20 students and the teachers rotated. So we were on team, Stacy and I were on a team together. And I remember sharing with them um, about the progress tracker and they just kind of looked like, Oh my God, (laughs) like it's keeping, you know, we're going to keep track of what we're doing. And I had a public pacing tracker at the time. Um, But once they got into it, they absolutely loved it. And I had so many positive comments from the kids. Um, They, they just loved it and they took off and um, just the fact that they could self pace and it was okay to have to revise that just became part of the whole classroom culture. Um, and it still is. That's like a huge piece that they're allowed to mess up and then redo it and learn from that. Um, so that was just a big piece. So they just respond terrifically. In fact, I had a conversation today with my students just at the beginning of school and they were saying, do any other teachers do this in eighth grade? And, you know, it's still early seventh grade and especially I'm finding my, um, special needs kids love it. So those with IEPs, um, one of them says to me, social studies was not, you know, my best subject last year, but I'm learning so much this year and, and it's easy. And so that just, you know, just kind of talks, speaks to what, how the kids feel about it. And can
3: I add that watching Karen put the model into practice, it was just amazing. Like we would, we had a a time um, where we would be like, out like out in the hall, like monitoring the kids. And we would be like talking every single day about, oh my gosh, she would tell me, this one did that or this one did that or I couldn't and these were like our students that were like our non workers. And they had spent a considerable amount of time through the school year kind of taking a very passive approach to their learning. And then here comes Kieran and is like, you know, blazing forward with our modern classroom stuff. And we saw change almost immediately. And so as Karen was answering that question, it just kind of goes to show like how how quickly and how resilient our students are. And I think, you know, we had a different perspective this year because this year we're like, Okay, we're back to normal. Um, And so students, we started this way. So students really didn't have a chance to say, oh, well, we used to do it this way and now we're doing it a different way. So um, and I think one of the other um, pieces of success, you know, as far as Karen and I are working with somebody in your building or that's on the same team is having that consistency and then because of the consistency you know that really gives students that foundation um and so you know we're seeing you know success obviously early you know this year but it just um i just wanted to say that karen did an amazing job and she inspired me and all of her kids as well
1: all of that just warms my heart just warms my heart. Um, I really love hearing from students and just what their thoughts are. Um, and it's really powerful, right? Um, and I think, Stacy, like you said, consistency is key. We just got to be consistent with it. This is a model, again, that's brand new for a lot of teachers and students. And so there's going to be frustrations and um, overwhelming feelings. But Trust the model. This is what Zach and I always say is trust the model, be
2: consistent with it, and it'll all work out. And um, I just wanted to yeah, say Karen, that it, it is makes it much easier. You're right, Stacey, having people in the building that can work with you. So I just feel very lucky that we, were, we are able to work together on this because Stacey has so many good ideas, and we can piggyback on each other. And so that just makes it better for everybody.
1: I am digging all of this teacher love right now. Um, <laughs> it makes me miss being in the classroom just so that I can talk to my teacher besties about all the best practices in teaching and learning. So this makes me really happy. And Karen, I mean, continue doing what you're doing. I'm so glad that you're able to inspire people to try out this model. Um, and so Let's celebrate, you know, like what are some, let's talk about some celebrations and challenges that you've had so far with the model that you've, you know, with incorporating rubrics and your grading and all of that good stuff. Um, Stacey, you want to start with this one? Like we
3: mentioned before, one of the successes or the celebrations is just kind of letting go of this idea that your work is worth a letter on a piece of paper. And so I think that having students embrace that or knowing that what you're doing is taking, I don't know, I want to say like taking their mindset and putting it in a different place, you know, and we are using that whole idea of growth mindset as well. So that would be one of the things. And also, I'll say my celebrations, many more aha moments. Um, with students where these conversations where you're maybe helping a student revise um, a mastery check and you're doing a little bit more explaining and, you know, and then the students go, oh, aha, I got it. And I think having those clear expectations um, just in general and through your rubrics and through your communication that the more clear the expectations are, the easier it is for students to succeed. And then you can
2: celebrate. Um. Really the only challenges, if we want to talk about challenges, is nothing to do with the should, do's must, any of that, but just the the work on the back end, but it's so worth it. So that would be the only challenge is making sure that, I guess, you're intentional, which you have to take the time to be intentional so that your must do's align with those level three, four questions and that you know you're getting those most important pieces in the must-do's and that your should-do's, you know, bump it up a little bit. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge is just making sure that all of those pieces kind of come together.
1: Yeah, I mean, being intentional is really difficult sometimes, right? Um, I think in teaching, I know specifically for me, I would just be like, Oh, this is a cool thing to do. It kind of goes with the skill and the content that we're learning about. So let's do it because it's fun. Um, or rather just me being like, No, these are all important things that students need to know. All of it is important when that's really not the case. So being intentional, um, is can be really difficult sometimes, especially as teachers. And so thank you for naming that. And just the front loading of um, creating a unit that's modern classroom can also be daunting because it's a lot of planning and it's a lot of thought process and really brainstorming and thinking about like what this will look like for our students so that our students actually are successful. Yes, Stacey. So I was
3: going to say one of the one of the challenges or just about being mindful and intentional is really when you start with that end in mind and you're creating those mastery checks that you, you know, create a couple different versions that are equally as um, mindful. And I think that to me sometimes is a challenge, Um, you know, thinking, okay, how do I still ask this question so that I can still, you know, figure out if the student really understands this concept. Um, so I just think um, just being intentional with those mastery checks and making sure that you're doing that upfront, so you have a variety of ways to assess student learning. Because it might just be the way that you asked a question. Um, and so I don't know. That's something that I have been working on uh, these last couple of weeks is just making sure that those uh, all of those pieces are are together and
1: concise and mindful. And that's a really good point, too, right? Uh, This is something that we always tell our teachers, too. Backwards planning is really important. We all know as teachers what backwards planning is. Do we have time to do it? Probably not. But now with this model, we kind of have to make time for it, right? There's no other option, no other way to approach this model unless you know exactly what the summative assessments are, what your mastery checks will look like, all of the above. Um, And so, again, like you said being intentional um, and really just thinking backwards planning so that you know where you're going your students also know where they're going and there's not a blurred line or a miss you know communication or misconception about what the students are doing so it's awesome i also just really want to name the fact that like before we started recording this podcast i'd asked karen how she was doing and she was like oh my gosh i'm great it's thursday and i am just like amazing like today is amazing um and she just shared with me that it's amazing because of the model and that just got me really really hyped (laughs) so thank you so much karen that's a celebration that we're going to name today um and so is there anything else that you'd like to talk about pertaining to this model um anything that deals with modern classroom anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about
2: um just don't be afraid of it i guess (laughs) i mean it does seem daunting but it like like it is, it is so, so worth it. Um, And I think for me, like I had to go through the whole free course first for it to make sense to me. And so if you need to take your time, take your time because whatever time you take will pay off in the long run. And again, it's so worth it.
3: I would say the same thing. I'd say anybody that is um, just thinking this might be something for them, I would say dive in and do it because, you know, here, Karen and I, veteran teachers, (laughs) and here we are diving in and it really is inspiring us and I think is going to really make The next few years um, of our teaching careers, uh, just so much more enjoyable and so much more worth it for the students. And I really I don't know, I guess I always I mean, I always believed in this whole idea of assessment and, um, you know, letting students practice and getting to that final result kind of like packing a parachute. Like you have to do it multiple times before you, you know, jump out of the plane because you want it to open up and work right. So um, if you are apprehensive, like just dive in, Um, practice and don't be afraid of making mistakes along the way. Um, I know even like the physical part of my classroom, I didn't really do a lot with it because I kind of wanted to live in it for a little bit and see what is it that I need? What is it that might work. And then, um, you know, then I kind of put it together the way that I thought it might work. Um, And so just dive in and just don't be afraid to make a mistake and learn from the students and get their feedback because they really, um, they really know and they will tell you and they appreciate when you take their feedback and do something with it. So um, just
1: go for it. And sometimes I feel like as teachers, we need permission to like just dive right into it, right? And we need permission to be like, you know what? It's okay if you don't actually have everything figured out. Like It's okay to know your lessons, but it's it's also okay to not know how your physical classroom is going to look like. So I really like that approach, Stacey, of like, you know what? I want to live in this. I want to see how it goes so that I know what's missing. Um, and another thing that I absolutely love doing, even before the model, is that I always ask my students to be part part of the learning and the part of the community, right? So this is their learning space. And so what is going to work best for them? How is this classroom going to look like for them? Like I have my ideas, but then also asking students what their ideas are, because sometimes their ideas are so much better than ours. And, um, and I just like, I love that about teaching is that it really does create a community. And when students feel heard and seen and validated, they just like, Create some magical things. Um, and so, before we wrap up this episode, what is like the easiest thing that um, from the model that you implemented? So, if there's a teacher who's like super hesitant, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is too much. What is like that one bite size or one chunk that a teacher could start implementing right away?
3: Um, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with. Um, watching Karen kind of dive in first. And so I kind of took a couple pieces of the model and tried using them on my own. So the idea of um, even if you don't create an instructional video that you're creating an instructional slideshow and that uh, for the mastery grading that you're creating that mastery check and then using that uh, criteria for uh, mastery and then just seeing how students do, like I would have just give them like in our IB rubric, like a four or above, or I put a little R on the paper. And that's kind of how I started. I just kind of dove in with a little bit of guided notes through the slideshow and the mastery check. And that's kind of how I started.
2: And I dove in, like I just dove in with the whole thing. Um, and it was it was good, but a little stressful at first. But my, I think my advice would be, don't think you have to release all of the unit at once. Um, I, I think that I felt like I, I had the structure of my unit, but I felt like I had to have all the lessons. And then I think it was on a podcast, I think Monty had mentioned, or maybe it was a Facebook Live. Um, and I heard her say that she'll release like a lesson or two, and then release, you know, once they start getting finished, release the next one. And just that pacing for myself, where if I needed to refine something a little bit, I could do it. Um, just giving yourself that little bit of, of time and the ability to, again, change things if you need to, um, that, that was helpful.
1: And thank you for shouting out Monty, because that's exactly who I was going to shout out, Karen, because um, she does say also that she's probably just like a week or two ahead from her students. So she didn't actually have all of her videos created um, in the beginning. So with backwards planning, when we talk about backwards planning, we just know the skills. We know that um, we know what we need to cover so that the students are successful with their summative assessment. And so with me, I did not like creating videos, all the videos at once, because I always like connecting my videos and my instruction to what's happening in the world, to current event news, so that I could make references to what's happening. Um, And so that was how I approached that. So there's no need for you to actually have, like, if you've never created an instructional video and all of a sudden you're doing Modern Classroom and you think you have to create like 10 videos at once, that is not the case at all at all. So just keep that in mind too. Thank you, Karen, for bringing that up. Yeah, go ahead. And the other thing I would say is stick with what
3: you know, because I think sometimes when you dive in and like you're going through the wormhole of all these new um, strategies and whether it's the types of uh, video programs that you use to, you know, um, do your videos or whatever, like stick with what you know and then when you feel comfortable then choose another piece to kind of focus your energy on because it can it can it can get very overwhelming jumping from one resource to the next to the next see what's working and then just either embrace it and make it yours cuz it's working or you know modify but i would just say stick with what you know if you're comfortable you know using you know google slides then keep using google slides if you're comfortable you know whatever, even like my mastery checks are very similar to what I would call lesson checks in the past. I didn't throw away that idea. I just refined it so it fit Modern Classroom Project.
1: You brought it home, Stacey. I mean, let's recap, right? This whole episode, we're talking about how Karen and Stacey essentially just embraced the model and made it work with what was already working for them and just made some tweaks to make learning more accessible for their students. So Stacey, thank you for naming that stick with what you know. I always tell teachers this as well. Um, it's a lot to sift through and sometimes we get jaded and like, you know, clouded as like, Oh my gosh, I can't do any of these things. This is a lot. So stick with what you know, um, and be intentional, right. And don't be afraid. So again, Thank you so much, Karen and Stacy, for saying yes and sharing your expertise and knowledge. I really appreciate the fact that, Karen, you reached out to me so that we could have this conversation that we can share with our other listeners and um, people who are, you know, curious about implementing this model. So, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see everyone next week.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.